We're in part two of our series entitled, My Big Fat Mouth. My Big Fat Mouth. Now, I know you don't have a big fat mouth, but occasionally I have a big fat mouth. Last week, Pastor Glenn talked about complaining. Just an awesome word on Mother's Day. Just Some people say, is that really a Mother's Day message? Well, every, every Sunday, every Sunday is a Mother's Day message. If you're a mom today, this message is for you. Every Sunday, whatever you are, this message is for you today. But this morning I'm talking to you about lying. Everyone say lying. Liar, 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 pants on fire. <laughs> Hanging from a... Oh, you guys are smart. What a smart group here today. Now, on your way in today, just to kind of help you remember about your big fat mouth, uh, we gave you a little chatter guy like this. Can we just all pull the chatter guy out real quick? We're just going to have some fun. This is Mr. Rogers' neighborhood moment, all right? Welcome to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah, all you guys, some of you guys, all right, just go ahead and wind it up. Just go ahead and wind it up. You know, if you wind it up, and then if, I did this last service, I wound it up, and I let it go. Let's see what happens here. Oh, my God. You got a little excited there. <laughs> we're just going to get that out of the way, all right, so that we don't, we're not tempted to do that while I'm preaching this morning. There you go. Y'all had fun with the old chatterboxer. Take him home. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Don't say I never gave you anything, all right? I gave you a chatter teeth today. Let, let your kids play. Let, let, let them annoy you the rest of the day. That's why I gave it to you. <laughs> Talk about lying this morning. Talk about lying. Mark Twain said, a man is never more truthful than when he acknowledges himself a liar. Never more truthful. Uh, the University of Massachusetts several years back did a study. And they found that the average person, listen, the average person in a 10-minute conversation lied at least one time. The average person lied at least one time. And if a person was prone to lying, they told at least three lies in that 10-minute period. Now, I, I know you can't believe that, but if you think about it, think about, now, now we, we base our life and our culture on being honest. Now, most of us are honest most of the time. I mean, we, we say a lot of words, we speak a lot of things, and generally we're honest. But there's something in us. We just have this propensity to just fib a little bit sometimes. Now, I have permission, all the women in the room, I have permission for my wife to tell this story, all right? Sometimes I don't do that and I get in trouble later, and, but I have permission to tell this story. So my wife, she's an amazing woman of God, she's a champion, she's... I mean, just the things that she's walked through and the things that God has brought her through is pretty amazing testimony. She's, she's been tested, but she has a great testimony of the grace of God. And, and many years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer the first time, we had no idea that journey that would take us on. And, and over the years, she's had a couple bouts of cancer, multiple surgeries. But in the process, in the process of having uh, one of her surgeries... And we were at the, we were getting ready, and, you know, the night before they give you these instructions, they, they tell you, you know, before you come in for surgery, make sure you don't eat anything or drink any coffee. And, and so she, wait, she woke up this morning, she, I, don't even know what this, I don't even know what this particular surgery was for, but, but the, she woke up in the morning and uh, she grabbed a banana real quick, and she had three or two, three, four bites of a banana. Two, two bites of a banana, there you go. <laughs> See, look at I started at two and I ended at four. Story's getting better all the time. How big was that fish? Oh, it was that big. Said <laughs> so two bites of banana, and so we get to the, you know, we get to the. It's a nine o'clock surgery. We're there about eight o'clock. We're back in pre-op, and the nurse comes in, and they have a bunch of questions they ask you. And so the nurse asks her, "Did you have anything to eat?" And immediately she says, "No." 
Well, the very next thing, the truth tellers in the family, Keenan David Smith, my son and myself, well, no way, mom, you had two bites of a banana. And the nurse, you know, usually it's not a big deal, but this particular nurse, boy, that was it for her. And she went off and started giving us the riot list. And, and a 9 o'clock surgery got po postponed as we sat in the corner with our little dunce cap on for seven hours because she had two bites of banana. Now, you know, lies, we ever ask yourself why you said that? Like you just said something that wasn't quite truthful. You knew it wasn't quite truthful. It just kind of popped out of you. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about lying. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at two passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 22, and then Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple verses, verses 21 through 25. I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 22. The Bible says, the Lord detests lying lips. The Lord what? The Lord detests. The word detest there in the Hebrew is a very strong word. It means abhor, hate. I mean, God detests. It's to the point of vomit, literally in the Hebrew, vomit coming out of his mouth. He is not happy. But he delights in those who tell the truth. The Lord hates liars, but God loves those who tells the truth. Now, once you look at the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 21 through 25, somewhere around there. First two chapters of Ephesians, Paul's writing to the church, talking about this marvelous encounter that we have with God and the salvation that's been so freely given to us and how God has chosen us from the foundation of the world. He wants to bless us with this marvelous relationship of reconciliation and right relationship to him through his son Jesus. Then chapters 3 and forward, he starts to talk about our responsibility. So the first part of the book is about God's grace. Everyone say grace. grace. And it's free. You didn't purchase it. You didn't buy it. You can't work for it. God simply gave it to us. But the rest of the chapter, he talks about our responsibility in walking out this Christ follower's life. In verse number 21 of chapter 4, he says it like this. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Everyone sees, say Jesus is true. Jesus is the truth. He's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off. Everyone say, throw off. Throw off. Come on, throw off. Throw off that old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. This is your part. God's part to save you. Your part is to throw off. It is to make choices that leads to a right kind of life. I want you to look at verse number 24. Everyone say, put on. Put on your new nature, created to be like Christ. Here's the deal. Putting on requires a choice. It requires a choice of how you are going to live, the things you are going to say, the kind of actions you're going to act. Put on your new nature, created to be like God through truly righteous. I love that word righteous. You know, the word righteous in the Greek has the connotation that we are in right standing. We're in right relationship. That's what it means to be righteous, to be truly in right standing and holy. The word holy has to do with separation, separation from evil, separation from things that are wrong, separation from wickedness. But it isn't just separating from something. It's actually separated to something, separated to God's purpose, God's plan. 
God's created you today for mission and for purpose. And so we're, not, we're separated to be truly righteous and holy. So look what it says here, verse number 25. So stop telling lies. Wow. Everyone say stop telling lies. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body. This morning I'm going to talk to you on the topic. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, grace has been so real, so real and so relevant, and so raw in the motion of worship. Your presence was just, just, just so real to us today. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for, for inhabiting the praises of your people. We are grateful for that today. Lord, we come before you humble people today, recognizing, Lord, we don't just want to be worshipers. We also want to be people who live a life of truth. We receive your spirit so that we can live out this life of truth. Thank you, Lord, for every person that's here. Give them a spiritual ear to hear. And God, I don't take it for granted this third service. I need you. Give me clarity. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak, speak your word and only your word. I ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful and mighty name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Telling the truth. To tell the truth. You know, now, just so we're all on the same page, I want to give you just a quick definition of lying here, just to kind of help us to make sure that we all understand what we're talking. I know, I know you understand what lying is, but let's just let me just kind of put it up in a definition form. Saying or misleading someone through our actions with the intent of creating a false belief or impression. An attempt to get someone to believe something that is not true. Misleading someone through our words or through our actions. We, we admit from the time that we're a little child, we admit that we have a propensity to lie. Isn't that true? They did a study with uh, children between the ages of four and eight, and they put them in a room. And uh, they, put out, they brought out a nice little toy, a little fun toy, made some noise, whatever it did. And, and then they put it underneath the blanket, and they told the child, he was by himself, they told the child, they said, listen, we're going to leave the room, but don't look underneath the blanket. Don't look. All right? What percentage of children do you think the moment that adult walked out of the room looked underneath the blanket? Well, not quite. 80%. 80%. Now, now, the deal is, so they, 80%, so most, most of us, there's some of you in here, you just, you, you came out of the womb, you're straight arrow, but most of us got a little crookedness in us, and, and, uh, and so here's the deal. If the child told the truth and they were told that they would be in trouble, it would be punitive, 60% uh, of the time they would continue to lie. But if the child was told I'm, I'm sorry, 80% of the time. But if the child was told that they wouldn't get in trouble if they told the truth, only 40% only of the time would they not tell the truth. You know, there's something in us. There's something. If we feel like we're going to get in trouble, there's a self-protective part of us that does this, we're going to cover up. We're not going to be truthful. We're not going to tell the truth the whole time. Now, there are certain people in your life that you expect to tell the truth. Isn't that right? There are certain people in our life that we expect to tell the truth. There are certain people in our life that we expect not to tell the truth. Uh, when a politician is talking from a podium, do you expect that he's telling the truth or not telling the truth? Come on, what? Not telling the truth, right? 
uh, when you walk onto a used car lot. I don't even have to go the rest of it. I'm not making, I'm not, there's just something, right? The moment you walk on and there's eight guys standing out there, immediately you grab your wallet. And then you get out of your car and you start walking around and, you know, a guy comes up and, or a girl comes up and says, uh, can I help you? What do you say? No. Come on. No, why? Because there's something in you that you're just, you're, you're not trustful of that relationship. Uh, there are people that, that we, th- we feel like the moment, you know, you, you go to a funeral, Maybe it's your dead uncle's funeral, and he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. But the moment that preacher gets up there and starts talking about your uncle, you expect him to lie. Right? You expect him to tell how wonderful your dead uncle was. And everybody in the room knows the guy's a scoundrel. Hmm? Sure. But there's people that we expect to tell the truth. Your doctor. You go to your doctor, you expect your doctor to tell the truth. Isn't that right? You know, last week there was a doctor in Texas that was arrested for fraud. Over an 18-year period, he's he's being accused. He hasn't been prosecuted yet, but he's been accused of defrauding Medicaid and Medicare over $240 million. Performing tens of thousands of procedures that didn't need to take place. As a matter of fact, some of the procedures he's being accused of is is administering chemotherapy to people that didn't need chemo. I mean, I read that. I'm like, ooh, I'm like, you, ooh. It makes next time you go to the doctor, you want to get a second opinion, right? (laughs) No, I mean, we expect our doctors to tell the truth. We we go to the bank, and we expect the bankers to tell the truth with 100% accuracy. Isn't that right? Right? You, you, you give uh, you know, a check, you're going to cash a check, and the, the, the teller, she's counting back the money, or he's counting back the money, and you expect it to be the exact penny. Isn't that right? You expect that. Do, do you know right now one of the largest banks in the world is doing a whole rebranding campaign? Because for many years, this particular bank lied to you. They lied to you in such a way that they were able to steal through their lies. They were able to steal hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars from the American people. And today you can drive around town and you can see their billboards. Give us another chance. Right? They lied. They told a lie. And that lie had consequences to it. We we expect the truth. But the fact is there's something in us that doesn't always tell the truth. You know... This whole concept of lying, this whole idea of lying, we all know what it is. We've all experienced it. We've all done it. We've all had people lie to us. And there's always consequences to it. So what is the source of it? Where does this lying come from? What's the origin of lying? What's the origin of lying? Uh, Jesus was talking to some religious people, really good people. I mean, people that love, you know, they said they loved God with their mouth. Now, whether their heart was there, I don't know. But they said they loved God. They were in a worship service, and they had their hands lifted, and they read their Bible, and they were trying to obey the 613 laws of the Old Testament. They were also trying to follow the, 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 the writings of the, the scribes who, who gave commentary through the Talmud on, on the Old Testament laws. I mean, these are religious people. They go to church every single day. And this, I want you to hear what Jesus says about these people. I want you to hear what Jesus says about the origin and the source of lying in John chapter 8. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil. Religious people. Religious people. They belong to their father who? 
Why? Well, why do they belong to him? And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. There's no truth in the devil. Let's put the next verse up. When he lies, he speaks his native language. The enemy lies. Every time he opens his mouth, he lies. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But there's a lot of people that reject that today. There's a lot of people that reject that Jesus is the truth. And so when you reject the truth, you end up with a lie. I was preparing this message this week, and I was at one of the little places that I like to go, and, and I went up to the counter to get a cup of coffee, and the, the lady that was working the counter, she knew me, and, and uh, I'm, I'm in there frequently, and uh, she says, well, what are you doing here today? I said, I'm studying. She said, okay, you're studying for what? I said, well, I'm speaking at our church on Sunday, and she said, okay, well, what are you speaking on? I said, lying. Lying. The very next question out of her mouth was, why? <laughs> okay. But it wasn't the why that you would think. It was the why. Why does God let bad things happen? Why did bad things happen? This particular woman, she had her concept and an idea about God that wasn't quite correct because she had believed a lie. The father of lies. As a matter of fact, every time you see Satan mentioned in the Bible, he's always associated with a lie. Every time you see him speaking, he's almost always associated with a lie. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God's created Adam and Eve in his image. God's given them purpose. God's given them destiny. God's told them to be fruitful, to multiply. God wants to bless them, do good to them. God wants to have relationship, intimate relationship with him. And God lays out this whole kingdom. This amazing kingdom without sin, without pain, without death, and with the promise. You can have all of this. All of this is yours. But if you eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it ain't going to go well for you. And immediately, the liar, the father of lies, he comes to them, and he begins to tempt them. It's the same thing that he tempts you with. He comes and says, did God really say that? Uh, immediately he begins to try to corrupt mankind in believing that God is not good. It's exactly the lie that he tells you. He wants to tell you that God really isn't good. As a fact is, he'll come to you and he'll try to corrupt your, corrupt your thinking about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God and the plan of God. He did it all the way back in the, in the beginning. Did God really say? Did God really say that? You must not eat. Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? Is God really good all the time? Yes, God is good all the time. God is good. But he wants you to begin to doubt and to question the goodness of God. See, he's the father of lies. God loves you today. God's called you by name. You are his child today. The moment you come into relationship with him, you are no longer now under condemnation, but now you are free to worship him in spirit and in truth. You now are free to have a relationship with your heavenly father. He cares and he's concerned. He's full of compassion towards you as his child. He's a good God. The second time we see the devil in the Bible is in the book of Job. Now here's the deal. 
I, I don't understand completely the book of Job. I, I've read it multiple times. I know what it says, but there's some really interesting parts of it. In the very beginning, there's a dialogue. There's a conversation between God and Satan. And Satan comes before God. God is truth. He is all truth. He can only tell the truth. He's a personification of truth. Truth flows from him because that's who he is. He's the source of all truth. And Satan comes before him, and it's fascinating that when he comes before God, he can't lie to God. He can't lie to God because God knows everything about him. God's omniscient. He knows everything. Satan cannot lie to him. But what he can do is he can begin to criticize God's creation. So Satan comes to God and says, oh, yeah, the only reason that Job loves you, the only reason that Job serves you, the only reason that Job's following you is because you do good to him all the time. Man, you bless him, you bless his kids, you bless his hands, you bless his business, everything else. You, you just do this. You just stretch out your hand and you touch all that he has. You take it away and guess what? He will surely curse you to your face. You know what he's doing? He's criticizing God's creation. He's criticizing God's man. As a matter of fact, you read the whole story of Job and Job goes through hell. Everyone say, Job goes through hell. But Job never stopped in hell. He didn't camp out in hell. He didn't make hell his life. As a matter of fact, all the stuff that he went through and all the dialogue and all the communication and all the debating with his friends about whose fault this was and who was responsible, the Bible says Job never sinned against God. Whew. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. You've been chosen by God. You've been called by God. And you might be walking through some really difficult things. And what Satan wants to do is Satan wants to criticize you, causing you to live under the guilt and the shame of condemnation and of your failure, that you messed up. And, yeah, and, and we might have messed up. But you know what happens when you mess up? God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that your mess could now become a message of his grace and of his forgiveness and of his hope. In the New Testament, the next time we see the devil speaking, he's a liar. Remember, he's a liar. So he wants to corrupt men's thinking about who God is. He wants to criticize you, but ultimately, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. And the book of Matthew, here again, Jesus is dealing with, I mean, Jesus is dealing with some very challenging Moments. He's, he's no, he knows he's coming to the end of his life. The momentum, the pendulum, the, the people. The, there's a group of people that are following him and, and loving him and what he's doing. But there's a group of people that are very angry and very frustrated. And they've already expressed, he's already heard the buzz that they want to kill him. And so in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, the Bible says inside, now this is inside the, the temple, this is inside the place where God's worshipers or God's people would come, inside the leading priest and the entire council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus, would lie about him. Why? Because they wanted to condemn him to death. Satan has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. He wants to condemn you to death. You know, when you, when you find yourself living a lie, practicing a lie, talking a lie, speaking a lie, you are most like the devil. And the consequences and the result of living a lie and speaking a lie, the consequences always bring death. Every time. The wages of sin are death. Not sometime, but every time. 
You know, we have, we call it little white lies. Those little ones, you know, little fibs. They don't really hurt anybody. And, you know, you look on the face of it. We, my wife were involved in an event recently, and, uh, and the people that were in the event, we, uh, we knew the truth of their life and their relationship and where they'd been. And, and they were telling everybody one story. Everybody there, they were telling one story. But the fact is, the fact is there was a whole other story. We had known the story. We, we had experienced the story. We walked through the story with them. We lived the story. We knew that what was being told to everybody that was there wasn't the truth. You know, it seemed to be a, a harmless lie. But what I've discovered is that when we allow ourselves to tell a little lie, it's easier to tell the next lie. Uh, I mean, think of it. Peter, who's been with Jesus... I mean, Peter, this, this disciple, if you know anything about the gospel, if you know anything about the story of Christ, he had 12 guys that he called, and they were his closest friends, and then, then there was another 70 that followed and ministered with him. Here's the thing about Peter. Peter, I mean, he had such experiences with Christ that Christ sent him out, and not only did Jesus do miracles, but Peter also did miracles. Peter saw blind eyes open. People, Peter prayed for people who were filled with demons and saw the demons cast out. I mean, Peter really experienced a lot of things with Jesus. For three years, three years he lived with him. For three years he ate every meal with him. For three years he spent his life following and listening and obeying to the words of Jesus. And when Jesus has been falsely accused because some guys lied about him, and he's being condemned to death. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's had a crown of thorns shoved up on top of his head. He, he's had his beard plucked out and people spitting him and mocking at him. And Peter was there. Peter was there. He saw it. The Bible says that when Peter, that night, there was in the, he was in an area that was close to the Temple Mount. He was in an area and there was a group of people gathered around and some of the soldiers had made a fire. Peter was standing around the fire, and there was a little girl, 13, 14 years of age. And immediately, she says, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers. You're one of those guys. Now, think about it. Think about if that was you today. Think about it. Just put yourself in that position. You just saw Jesus, your best friend, get beaten beyond recognition. Got the thunder kicked out of him, beat out. And you know that if you, you tell the truth in that moment, they're likely to do the same to you. What's your response? The Bible says that Peter denied it. He denied it. I don't even know him. He didn't do it one time. He didn't do it two times. He didn't do it three times. He did it three times. And as Jesus prophesied, when, Jesus, when Peter denied him three times, the rooster would crow. And on the third time, the rooster crowed. And when Peter denied Christ, you know what happened when he lied? He never got caught. They didn't beat Peter then. He walked away from that situation. But he was living a life of condemnation, of, of shame, of guilt, knowing that he wasn't living the truth. Knowing that he wasn't living the truth. You know, when you look at the stories of the Bible, there's so many stories in the Bible that people didn't completely tell the truth. You can go back in the very beginning. There was a man by the name of Jacob. His name was Deceiver. 
He's a liar. He stole his brother's birthright and his blessing. He stole his brother's birthright and his blessing. And what I find interesting about the story of Jacob, what I find interesting about the story of Peter, is that God didn't leave them there. I mean, Peter denied Christ. Peter renounced Jesus, cursed that he never knew him. But after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to him, the Bible says that Peter... Peter was the first one that God would use to stand up when the Holy Spirit had been poured out and the church was being birthed and the signs and wonders and promise of God's Spirit who was for all people, for all generations, for all time. God took that mess of a man who made horrible mistakes. God used that man to declare a message of redemption, a message of forgiveness, and a message of hope because God wasn't finished with Peter yet and God isn't finished with you. Someone said amen. Jacob, he's a deceiver. His name means deceiver. That's what his name means. He's a liar. He deceived his brother to get his brother's birthright. His brother's hungry for one bowl of soup. He's willing to trade everything in. Trade everything in for one bowl of soup. You think of how many times we've traded God's blessing. We traded God's best for one act, one selfish moment, one moment where we looked, we saw, we did, one moment, temptation, we caved in, we traded the goodness and the blessing and the grace and that sense of peace of God, knowing that we're right standing with him. Esau was Jacob's older brother, older by just a few moments. They were twins. He stole the birthright. And then as his father was dying on his, on his deathbed, Isaac the Bible says that not only was Jacob a deceiver, but his mother was in cahoots and wanted Jacob to receive the blessing from his father before he died. It wasn't his. It wasn't rightly his. It was his, it was his brother's. But Jacob was a manipulator, a deceiver. And the Bible says that his mom, she got some, some kind of sheepskin or wool, wool skin and put it on his arms and made him smell like Esau with his clothes and made a bowl of soup just like Esau would make. The Bible says that, uh, she said, Jacob, won't you take it in? Jacob deceived his father. He deceived his father. He stole his brother's blessing. But here's the deal. The Bible says that Jacob, when Esau comes home, he realizes what happened. He said, isn't he named rightly? You know, the enemy has lots of, lots of names for you. The enemy has lots of names of your failure. So many times we identify people by what they've done, the way that they failed, the mistakes that they've made. That's exactly what the enemy has done to you, but that's not how God left Jacob. You see, as a fact, the fact is that later, Jacob, who would run from his life because his brother Esau wanted to kill him, the Bible says that later on, God came to Jacob. As a matter of fact, while he was sleeping, he had a dream. He had a vision. and He saw angels descending and ascending on this ladder. And in that moment, there was a man that came to him. The Bible calls him the angel of the Lord. Most theologians believe that it was a Christophany. It was a revelation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 
And the Bible says that when this man Jacob saw this man, this angel, who I believe was the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, bless me, bless me. And the Bible says that he told that angel, he said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And Jacob began to wrestle, and he began to wrestle, and he began to roll around on the ground until he got it right with God. And in that moment, the Bible says the angel of the Lord touched him. And when he touched his hip, he left a mark on him. And from that day forward, he was no longer called Jacob. He was no longer called Jacob. He was now called Israel, a man who met God, a man who touched God, a man who was changed and forever would be, ever, ever would be associated with the house of God, the presence of God, changed. That's what God wants to do. So God wants to do in your life. God wants to take the deceptiveness, the human potential, the human, our human nature that wants to lie and trick and make ourselves better. I mean, there's just something in this. We, we, want people to, to, we want people to think better of us than we really are. We want to project an image that isn't necessarily true. And so what we do is we, uh, we get masks. We, we wear masks. We take a mask and... We don't allow people to see us for who we really are, and so we put this mask on. And we had these deep insecurities. You know, maybe we felt like people never liked us, and, and so we're always trying to project this happy-go-lucky person. We, you know, people, we haven't felt like we've been accepted by people, so you know, maybe we met somebody famous, and we have to name drop so that we can feel better about ourselves. You know, maybe, maybe deep inside, man, we've been hurt, really hurt. So we put this hard shell of a, of, a, of a look up, and we go out into public, and we got these ear things on called Dr. Dre's. And, and we're, out at, we're inside of a building, and we wear dark-tinted sunglasses so no one can see our eyes because we're a tough guy. Right? We wear masks. We wear masks. We project an image of something that we're really not deep inside there's a wound there's a hurt that only God can heal so God wants us to be people who know the truth Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life he's the way so we might have a mask on today but God wants to help you take that mask off God wants to help you take that mask off the pain the shame the guilt and this is how it happens and this is your choice. You remember in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said to put off, throw off the old way of life. Put on the new way of life. Do you know how you do that today? You know how you put on that new way of life? The first thing is that you have to learn the truth. You have to learn the truth. You have to learn the truth about who God is. You have to learn the truth of who God is. The psalmist said it like this. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word. You know, when you read God's word, and if this is the only word that you are getting in your life this week, the regurgitation from a preacher boy up here on the platform, you're not going to really know who God is. You're going to know about God, but it's not until you open the book for yourself and you allow, like James says, to let that word become a mirror to your life that you can experience transformation. 
Because it's not enough to know about him. God wants you to know him. And the revelation of God and who he is and of his grace and of his forgiveness and of his hope and of his healing and of his restoration. The revelation, we discover it. We discover the truth of who God is. We read his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin, that I might not lie, that I put off the old man. But not only do we discover who God is, we also discover who we are. Because it's a mirror. It shows us who we are. It shows us that we need grace. <laughs> there was a, a wedding that took place, a small little wedding that took place yesterday. About two, two billion people around planet Earth watched it. A small little wedding over in England. The dress alone, I don't know, you know, $43 million wedding, small little wedding. And, and I posted, I watched, I watched it, my wife and I, and I'm crying, bawling. And so I'm online, you know, and there's all these Facebook posts, people saying, and there's one young man that's in our circle, might even be here today, and uh, he was, a, the glory of God wasn't there, bless God. God had nothing to do with that. Well, I watched that. I saw the name of Jesus proclaimed there. I saw people, even if they were religious, talk about the sanctity of marriage. I saw a couple, obviously they weren't perfect people, lots of failures, but I saw something, even the culture, even our, our world recognized there was something different. This, this young lady who was half African American, half white, married this prince who had lots of foibles and failures in his life. But the world saw, the world saw and the world heard the message of God's love. This preacher got up there and started talking about the love of God. And the choir began to sing, and you could feel it. I mean, there was something there. And I've been thinking, you know, God has amazing ways amazing ways to get his message of grace out. This young man was criticizing. I thought it's exactly what the enemy always does. Every time the gospel is going forth, every time the truth of who God is, the enemy wants to criticize. But God hasn't come to condemn you. God's come to change you. And you change when you learn the truth of who God is and then who you are. You need, you need him every day of your lives. Now the second thing is we must commit ourselves to living the truth. We must commit ourselves to living truth. Now, this is the tricky part. For me, this is the tricky part. I'm a shouter. I like the emotion. I can get up here. He's kicking doors down. Hallelujah. You know, I'm loving it. I mean, that's right. It's when I step out of this building, how do I treat the waiter or the waitress that's not very nice to me? Come on out, somebody. You're meddling. Friday night, Miss Laura and I, little dinner, nice little dinner, cheap little dinner. And the waitress, I mean, I'm a nice guy, cute little couple over here, little two, two top table, you know. She was just, had a bad day. I told my wife she shouldn't have come into work today. <laughs> it would have been a good day for her to call in sick, whether she wasn't or not. But, man, I don't know what I did, but it, it was kind of a rough experience. And I remember I was sitting there thinking, I got a choice to make. Am I going to mirror her? She's not nice to me, so I'm not going to be nice to her back. Is that what I'm going to do? Or I'm going to choose to walk in love. Choose to walk in love. I want you to see this verse in 1 John chapter 3. We know what real love is. You know why you know real love today? Because Jesus gave his life for you. 
the personification of love, the person of love, the person who went to the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The God of love died, rose from the dead so that you could experience his love and his grace. We know that love today. We know it today. Now, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let's not just be talkers. Let's not just be talkers. Let's people live the truth. Don't just say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. We can shout and shunday and run around the room and have God moments. Man, but if we're not demonstrating that love and the way that we treat other people, we're missing it. And so first of all, we, we've got to learn the truth of who God is and who we are and what he's come to do. We've got people who make the decision. That's a choice. We put off. We choose to live the truth. The Bible says that we speak the truth in love. A lot of you know how to speak the truth. It just hasn't been wrapped up in the package of love yet. And the third thing is we must people who love This is what happens when you love the truth. Jesus in John chapter 8 said it like this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, do you believe in Jesus today? Come on, do you believe in Jesus today? Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful, if you keep putting on, put on that new man, faithful to his teachings, faithful to who he is, and you will know the truth. And the truth set you free. You can know the truth and not be free. But if you know the truth of who Jesus is and you are a follower of his today, you will be free. Free to run. Free to serve. Free to love. Free to bless. Free to do good to your neighbor. Free to bless those who curse you. Free. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. I'm free at last. Why? Because I know the truth. I've learned the truth. I'm making a choice to live the truth. And today, I love the truth. I want the truth. What about you? So what do you do with this? So what do we do with this today? Two things. First of all, some of us, we haven't been living the truth. Now we know about God, but I mean that full, there's some of you here today, you haven't fully surrendered your life to him. And you're not living in the truth. I mean, you know about him. I'm afraid there's someone here today, you're not living it. You're not really living in that truth of that relationship. I'm not talking about being perfect today. But I'm talking about you're getting up and saying, you know what, I'm going after this. You know what you need to do today? You need to confess to God and receive his forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says that uh, if we confess our sins, hear me, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. And so we confess to God our sins. We receive his grace and forgiveness. The second thing that we must do today is confess to others our faults. James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another. It's why we do small groups. It's why we're pushing so hard and make these funny videos and have people out there trying to pull you into groups because we know if something happens in a life-giving group where you're reading the Bible and praying for one another, you can, and at least the potential for you to have a transparent, honest moment is there. 
whether or not you do it or not, whether or not you get real with people and take off the mask, that's up to you. The potential for healing is there for your life. I want you to close your eyes. We've done this the two previous services, and I know we're just a hair long this morning. But this is so important. This message is so important. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus has come to give you freedom. The truth, he is the truth. He wants to be people of truth. He wants you to know his forgiveness and his grace. Today, if you're in this room and you know your life isn't right with God, I want to give you that opportunity right in this moment. In just a moment, we're going to sing this song, Reckless Love. But before we do that, you're in this room and you know your life isn't right with God. Sir, ma'am, young person, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. One, two, three. Come on, anyone in this room right now? Hand back there. Sit down. Anyone else? Come on, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. We're going to stand together. You raise your hand today. You know your life needs to get right with God. We're going to, I'm going to ask you right where you're at just to begin to ask God to forgive you. I want everyone to stand with me across this room and we're going to make this our declaration. We're going to declare the goodness of God. We're going to thank Him today for His reckless love. And He forgives us. He forgives us. We're going to confess. We're going to worship Him and thank Him for His. Come on, let's worship the Lord right now. Lift up your hands towards heaven. Come on, let's go after God today. 